Good morning. Uh, for all of you type A individuals, I don't know if you noticed, but you basically have every Sunday laid out for you through August. Doesn't that make you feel much more comfortable this morning to watch that every week? And you think, Phew, that just takes all this pressure off me for trying to figure this out every week when I come in here. So that's just for all the type A individuals. For everybody else, you just think the music is really cool. But today, we continue in part two of the Apostles' Creed. I'm excited about sharing with you the portion that simply says, God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so if you have your Bibles, it's Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13 in just a moment. But before we get there, I have to give you, as we said last week, if you are not here though, then this will help you, some caveats that we have to have before we begin the Apostles' Creed together for you to kind of understand. One is this, and I think it's very important, that this series is not about preaching the creed. That's not what this is about at all. But it's rather using the creed to preach the Bible. So that's really a ground rule that we have to understand up front. Why do you say that? Because creeds hold no authority within themselves. They do not. The creeds always point outside of themselves to something greater, to an ultimate authority. And the Apostles' Creed always points that ultimate authority of the Word of God. We used the illustration last week about the moon, and that is that one of God's amazing creation and how it glows at night, but yet the moon does not have any light within itself. When the sun radiates its light upon the moon, it reflects off the surface. Thus, you and I see a reflection of the sun. The creed is exactly the same way, that it has no authority within itself, but it actually reflects that of the authority of the Word of God. And that's what makes it so powerful for our life today. The second caveat is this, that the creed has this amazing historical value in weight for you and I today in our time. It is the oldest of all the Christian creeds, yet there are two things we understand in history that is used for. Ben, that applies to us today. One is this, to correct error. Because so many times we as Christians and Christians in years past, we as Christians also drift from the truth about God. And so what the creed does, it kind of brings us back to a center and gives us, well, we use the word later, symmetry. The second thing is it's used primarily to that of spiritual formation in that of the life of God's people. That for almost two millennia now, for almost 2,000 years, this very creed, these very words that you see behind me this morning have been used to shape people in the truth about who God is. And then there's a third thing, and this is important because I think this needs to be said, that Christians do not believe in incantations. We do not, as believers, believe in incantations. That is saying that if you memorize this and say this, this does not make you a Christian. You have to understand that. Does this not make, it doesn't make you a Christian. If you memorize every word of this and how it's laid out, then understand it doesn't make you lucky. It doesn't seem to say that I, I recite this before I go into the store and buy a lottery ticket so I'll win. That does not work, okay? That does not work. And, and understand this, it doesn't, it, it's not going to help you to get that promotion at work, so to speak, just because you memorize it or the girl that you've been staring at. It does not. It doesn't help in any of those things. So take those things off the table. Let's use it for what it is, that it points back to the Bible, simply revealing Jesus Christ, revealing the Trinity to you and I today. And so what does it do for me then? Really, what does it do for me in my life? We talked about this week a little uh, uh, sort of review. This is this. It brings symmetry to my life. It brings some symmetry. It shapes 
how I follow Christ, it does. It, it sort of gives me a balance within my life. It also brings clarity within my life that, be, that many times you and I, we somehow adopt false assumptions about who God is and how God works within my life. So it brings some clarity. It also brings community that I wrap my mind around not just who I am, but with whom I am a part of. And, and saying that to realize that this creed has been, as we said, recited for almost 2,000 years. It, it is an amazing family that we're a part of when we begin to recite this. That's why those little guys on both sides that look like apostles, you know, but the apostles did not write the Apostle Creed, but yet they, they look like apostles because we are part of this huge community of believers today and for uh, thousands of years past that have simply recited the creed together. And then the third thing is, or fourth thing is this, that it also brings counsel, provides counsel for you and I. And that is it affects the way that we counsel ourselves. It affects it the way that you and I talk to ourselves in those moments of struggle within our life. And also it affects the way we counsel others. When we are sinned against, if we believe this, and it talks about that of forgiveness, then we are easily to forgive others, are more easy to forgive others. Why? Because we are forgiven, and so it brings some counsel to our lives. Now, what I love about the creed is this, how it starts. Because it starts out not with, I know, but it starts out with, I believe. It does. Those are powerful words, I believe. Those are powerful words. So now you said good morning to one another so you know each other really well. Matthew stole that from me this morning. Okay, that's always my gig. But that's okay. I let him borrow it sometimes. But, but you've already said good morning to each other. Turn to the person next to you and say, I believe. I, say that to them. I believe. Say that to them. Now ask them the question, what do you believe in? Ask him that question. What do you believe in? That's a whole different story. It is. Because here's the thing, when you look at this creed, it starts, I believe in, and then it begins to really give you a foundation of what you believe in as a Christian. But it does not start out with, I know. Why? Because here, here is my thinking in, in that. Because belief leads to action. Knowing Maybe or maybe not sometimes, you know. We asked you this question last week. How many of you know things you should be doing or know things you shouldn't be doing? And that has not stopped you from doing or not doing them. And all of you raised your hands in a very honest moment together. You did. Why? Because sometimes knowing is a maybe. Maybe I will, maybe I not. But believing always leads me to action. It drives me to action. That's why the creed begins with, I believe, and it doesn't begin with, I know. And so the Christians, oh, millennia before us, as they would recite this together, and they would say, it's not that I know, but it's that I believe, that as what drives me as that of a Christian, when that, is, when that was recited historically, simultaneously we realized last week that what happens in those believers' life is, one, it was their greatest act of allegiance, saying that simply, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, above everything else, and that's who rules my life. Not only was it a great act of allegiance, but it was this amazing great act of rebellion in their life. Because they said that, listen, in, in Rome, that the Roman leader, they were not God, but yet the God of the creed, that is the God that I serve. And so they were rebelling against those prominent narratives of the day. So what does that mean for me? Because I don't live in Rome. 
I don't live back in those days. There's no Caesar telling me what to do, you know. So, so what, what is, how, does this, how does this flesh out for me in 2018? Well, it's this. Just before we recite this together. That when I recite this, what it means to me is I fundamentally reject narratives like materialism. And that is that in our culture, the more things I get, the more satisfied, the more fulfilled I am in life. So I simply, my life is driven by what I, I can obtain. And I reject that narrative. I reject that modern narrative. I reject the narrative of what we call progressivism. Progressivism. And progressivism is simply that thought that if man lives long enough, eventually man is going to figure out what's wrong with the world and man is going to fix the world. And that is not what's going to fix the world at all because we know that only Jesus is going to return and make everything right someday. And so when I, when I recite this, I reject those narratives of today. And I say, no, I stand on something that is old and true and it's proven and it reflects simply back to Scripture. So it's based upon Scripture and it gives me symmetry and it gives me clarity and it gives me simply community within my life and it brings counsel to my life and to that of others around me. It's powerful. It is really powerful. So would you do this for me? Would you stand for a minute? Would you stand? You say, Mark... It is too early for us to stand. Are you finished already? No. No. God does perform miracles, but that's not one of them today, okay? It's not. No, it's not. But I want us to recite this together to kind of bring us into a symmetry for a moment. And then we will read from the book of Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 together. Can we read together? And you can watch their slides on the screen or just simply the banner behind me. Let's read. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended, descended to hell the third day. He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Yes. And if you weren't here last week, did you, you're, you're thinking, Mark, did you just say that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, you know? If you weren't here last week, you're like, wait, stop. I, you know, I got I to gotta ask the question, then what do you mean by that? And that is it has nothing to do with that of being the, just the Roman Catholic Church. But that word Catholic is, means that it's the universal church. It is the body of Christ. And yes, we do believe in the body of Christ, the universal church. But we chose to use the original version of the creed you this morning. So if the creed reflects scripture, let's go to the word of God. It's Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 and here's what it says. Pray then like this. And you say, oh wait a minute, I know this. I know this too. I memorized this growing up maybe in church. It says pray then like this. Our Father. And here's how it reflects the creed. In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
And what we see in the Lord's Prayer as it starts out, Our Father, is so powerful because, again, it connects us back to the Creed and where we start this morning, that our God is being, in this prayer, He's being infinitely powerful simultaneously. He's being intensely personal in our lives. And that's what I want to talk about for a few moments. So can we take the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, apart for a moment together? We start with this thought, Our Father... And it's written like that because in that culture and in that time frame, it was not uncommon. It was not uncommon in this Near East culture for people to claim their God as their father. In fact, if you went back to Roman culture, that they would first look at Zeus as their father. And I think that's kind of interesting. And then they would have looked at the Roman emperor as their father because he was like a deity to them. And what Jesus does when he begins the Lord's Prayer is he redefines what it means to be a father. Because he doesn't describe being a father like that of Zeus. Why? Because Zeus is this mystic God in the heavens holding a lightning bolt, just looking down at you, waiting for you to mess up so he can fry you. And that is exactly what it was. And what God does through Jesus, what he does here in this text is he kind of, he redefines what father means. Because the Christian father, God, is that the only one that is truly Uh, concerned about that of the goodness and the health of his people. Totally different. And some of you, I think, probably came in here seeing God like Zeus. You did. That God is up there in heaven and he's got this flowing white hair, but he's standing over, looking over a cloud. He has a lightning bolt in his hand with your name on it, right? Yes. And he's just waiting for you to mess up so that he can somehow fry you. And what God does, he simply puts into act what truly he is as a father in that of the tenderness that he has toward you and I, that he is, he is intensely personal in our lives, contrary to the gods of this time and context. Contrary to that. So it's powerful. He says, let me define to you what a father is in that life of God. Let me define to you what God is. He is our father. He is our father. Now, if the prayer went on to said, our father who art in the living room, then it would be different, right? Because it wouldn't be as powerful. But what does it say? It talks about his infinite power in that it says that our father, second, in heaven, is that the location of God is transcendent. It's transcendent. In 1961, I thought about this. I was reading about that this week. In 1961, I was three years old. That does me good to say that, okay? It really does. I was three years old, so I probably don't remember this. But in 1961, the first cosmonaut was put into orbit. And and it started the space race between that of the Russians and the Americans. It did. And the first cosmonaut was put into orbit. And when he got into orbit, the first words that came out of his mouth was, I've made it into heaven and God is not here. That's what he said. God is not here. Yeah. Joke is on him, right? Yes, and it's like, because if you research, if you if, if his first name was Yuri, if you research Yuri's life, what you find out that shortly after he returned, he died just a very few years later than than this. He didn't live to be very old, and well, he he found out where God was. But the thing is that it, he said, "Well, God is not here. Why? Because orbit isn't heaven. That God is everywhere at once. He's omnipresent, absolutely, and we understand that about God." But there is a special location in the universe where God rules and where God reigns. That he's everywhere outside of the boundaries of time, yes. But God is infinitely powerful yet intensely 
personal in our life because he is our father and he is our dad. So in this world, he is our father, he is our dad, but this is his domain that he rules and reigns over and there is nothing that he cannot do. I love this about God. That he is infinitely powerful, yet he is intently personal within my life. Because you and I fluctuate in and out of which kind of, uh, which, which end of that view that we have of God within our lives at times. And it causes a lot of problems. That he is our Father in heaven. And then it goes on to say, see our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that is an amazing example of the infinite power of our God throughout human history. That the name of God is to be hallowed, that it is to revere, that is weight, that, that there is a good fear about the immense power of our Father God. And I thought, how do you kind of, how do you kind of look at that in, in that, that sense of a good fear about God and respect of Him? And I thought about this, this way, that you and I as humans, the bigger the mammal that you and I may face at some point in life, the more fear that exists within us. And I'll explain it this way. That if you invite me over to your house and, and you have a chihuahua, okay? And you know what a chihuahua is. Chihuahua is like seven or eight pounds of attitude, isn't it? It really is, yeah? And so you have this chihuahua and your chihuahua's name is Killer, all right? Because if I had a chihuahua, I would name it Killer for sure. I, I would, yes, because it just doesn't fit. But you have it. And so I walk into your house and the chihuahua does what they are meant to do. He loses his mind, you know? He loses his mind that I have come into his domain. But here's the deal. I'm not nervous. I'm not nervous, you know? He may take a swipe at my ankle or something, but I'm not nervous about an eight-pound little hamster-looking dog. I'm not. No, I'm not nervous about that. But if you invite me over and you have a German shepherd by the name of Sunshine. Now, I thought about that and all, you know? If the Chihuahua's killer, then you got to call the German Shepherd Sunshine. You got to, this is my weird way of thinking. And he's not, he's not an American German Shepherd, but you have just imported him from like Berlin. So he's the real deal, you know? He doesn't wear a collar. He wears a tool belt around his neck, okay? He does, yes. And while I'm coming in the house, he's already out in the driveway and he's planting an explosive device under my car so that he does intend to eat me. But if I get away, he will kill me in the car. Okay? Yes. Now, my thought is this. And I know that's very drastic, but my thought is this. I'm going to approach that dog different. Absolutely different. Even though I outweigh him and I am taller than him, that I'm going to have a bit more fear and awe of the German shepherd sunshine than I am that of the Chihuahua killer. And if that's true on the mammal level, how much more true is it on this infinite, infinite scope of God the Father? That he's, have you ever thought he's, he's everywhere at once? He is everywhere at once. Figure that out. Growing up, I used to think my mom had that ability. I really did, you know, because she knew everything I did, right? She always said she had eyes in the back of her head, and I really believed that sometimes. I really did, especially in church. She, she did because she, she would know what I was doing, and she wasn't in, anywhere around because God speaks to moms in, in powerful ways. And so he's everywhere at once. How would be thy name? Even we have a, a text in the Bible that says that don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Did you really, do you really, do you understand that that really has nothing to do with cuss words? Did you know that? It doesn't. 
Now, that doesn't give you the right to go out and just use all of them as you want today. Okay, so understand that if you've been looking for that opportunity, that I'm not saying that. But it says simply, don't take the things of God in a flippant way. Don't take them in a flippant way. God is serious. Don't take his renown lightly. He is infinitely powerful. He is intensely personal for our life. That is the God that is our Father. And then he goes on to say, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And one of the things that I love about the Apostles' Creed, that it brings us back to this mindset of the Trinity and that we are Trinitarians. It shapes our mind around the nature of the Trinity. That there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are three in one, three distinct persons, but yet one Godhead. And that is such a powerful thought for you and I and a very cornerstone of our belief system. But here's the thing about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was inaugurated at the coming of Jesus. It is. Inaugurated at the coming of Jesus. It's active and moving today, but it's consummated in that of the return of Jesus via the power of the Holy Spirit to glorify the Father. Wrap your mind around that. That is really powerful. It really is. That, that, that is how all of this works. And what we see in this consummated kingdom of God, that everything that is broken is fixed. That once where the lion would eat the lamb, the lion and the lamb lay down together. That is beautiful. That there is no tears and no sickness, no pain. The desert that once would not bloom anything now blooms roses in the middle of the desert. And you say, Mark, I have a really green thumb, but that goes beyond you that only God can do that. God, only God can do that. That's the consummated kingdom of God. It really is that there's no death. That he says to death, death, you have no more power. And he simply takes that complete power of death away. This is how the kingdom is rolled out. And what we know today is the earth is reeling and groaning, according to Romans chapter 8, of God to come back to return and to fix everything that is broken. And we wonder why we have earthquakes and we have volcanoes today that, that, that are erupting and all the things that are taking place because the very earth itself, according to the book of Romans, is groaning for God to return and to fix everything and to make it right. And so His kingdom is being rolled out today in my life and in your life today. And then the prayer moves on from that infinitely powerful God to this intensely per personal God. And this is what he says. He says, give us this day our daily bread. It's not saying that God is going to give you everything that you want. That's not what this is about at all. But this intensely personal God is going to give you everything I believe that you need in life. Why? Because only a selfish father, hang on, only a selfish father would give their children everything they want. Because usually when you find a dad who gives their kids everything that they want, it's because there's some inadequacy that they feel within themselves as a father or as a parent. Loving fathers don't say yes to everything their children desires. They don't. No. And if you want to get that soundbite, it will be online this week and you can play that to your kids every week at home. You can. Yes, 
Loving dads and moms don't give their kids everything that they want, even when you have the ability, the resources and the finances, the time, the job or whatever to give it to them. You don't do that. Why? Because their desires so many times are immature and they are harmful for them. And a true loving father only does what is best for their children. And for us, within our limited power, but with God, there is, there is no limit to what He knows. So He always does best for, for you and I. The most loving and kind thing a father can do with their children sometimes is just to say no. It's just to say no. That I'm willing to be a killjoy in your life. Oh, I'm willing to be the bad guy. Nobody wants to be the bad guy. But it's in the handbook as a parent. You have to be the bad guy sometime. No, and I'm going to take your scorn and I'm going to take your poutiness and all those kinds of things because you don't know as much as I know. Record that soundbite and play that back to them all the time too. Our daily bread is not that God always gives us what we want. That's not it at all. But he gives us what we actually need in life. He does. Listen, I love every one of you in this room. You think, oh, Mark, when you say that, we know you're going to say something, you know, that's going to be tough. And, and I, I do. I love every one of you in this room. And some of you are extremely brilliant. That doesn't mean that some of you are not, but there are some of you that are brilliant. And that's just the way life goes. But you're not smarter than God. I really want you to grasp that this morning, that you are not smarter than God. You're not. No. It would be like all these formative years of me and, and Ariba and I raising Grayson through all these years. And, and it would be all like, and, and Grayson trying to, when he was younger, argue with me that his way is better than my way, you know? And I'm going to tell you, that just doesn't fly with, with me in those years. And, and he knows that. But it would, be, it would be like that with you and I arguing with God. Why? Because I have more time under my belt and, and all those kinds of things. And, and yet, Grayson may be smarter than I am in certain areas. He, he's much better at math. Trust me. He is much better at math. I'm lost when, I, when it comes to that area in his life. So he's much smarter than that. In my, but I've lived longer and I know some things that he does not know except math. And I think sometimes when we approach God in those ways of disobedience, closing our ear and our mind and our heart off to him, that we say that we're smarter. Proverbs 30 and 7, the book of wisdom says this, that two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. I love this. It says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. And here's what it looks like from the Lord's prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Why? Verse 9, least I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or least I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So what he's saying is this, Lord, if you gave me everything that I wanted in life, then there's this very good possibility that I would see that I had done all those things and I would forget you. I would forget you. And then the prayer goes on to say, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that word debt, debtor, it's a powerful word in the Greek because it encompasses all kinds of sins and all kinds of harms and hurts. And it's just a huge word, a very powerful word. It says that. And so what God is saying is this, that not only does he forgive our sins, but he heals the heart when we're harmed and hurt by others who sin against us. It's a very powerful thing that he is intensely perp. A personal within all of our lives this morning. 
And then he ends with this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says this, that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, that God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, it says, that he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And I love this. Because what it does, it, it says that God is so intensely personal that he knows the struggles that are personal to me. That he meets me right there in my life. Because we all have struggles that are absolutely personal to us. That what the person sitting next to you may struggle with, one thing, but you don't. So God meets us right there in those, in those areas of my life. It would be like if I were headed to the parking lot after service this morning, you know, and one of you approached me in the parking lot and you tried to sell me a bag of weed. And now, now listen, okay, I, I, I understand. If you don't know what weed is, that's marijuana, that's cannabis, okay, whatever that is. No, this is not Colorado, so just hang on for a moment, okay? But here's the thing. And you try to sell me this bag of weed that I don't have to all of a sudden say, wait a minute, let me get my iPad out and let me make a list of pros and cons of why I should or should not buy this bag of weed from you. And I don't have to think, you know what, that I'm going to lead a connection group this afternoon and it would really make that group lively if I took that bag with me. It really would. Now, none of you get that idea about connection group, okay? Because that is not the way we fly, right? Okay. that I don't have to weigh that out and take a moment to, to weigh that out in my life. I don't have to, you know, get home and think, oh, man, I really regret not scoring that bag in the parking lot after I preached this morning. I really do. I really regret that. No. Why? Because that is not my struggle. But God is so intensely personal in our life as our Father that He meets us in that moment that personal struggle of our life, whatever it is, that he knows our iniquities, he knows our struggles, our bents and those things in our life, and he is that intensely personal and powerful that he makes a way out for you and I. He makes a way out for us. That's God. So what does this mean for me, Mark? It means this, that it brings in my life the creed. It brings symmetry within my life. It brings this powerful symmetry within my life. Remember we talked about last week the guy that goes to the gym that never shows up on leg day. Remember that? I know that. And some of you are thinking, well, I had a friend that I invited last week and he was that guy, but he's not here anymore, you know, because you're saying that. You're like the upside down pear with this, you know, with a toothpick stuck up the rear kind of thing. You know what I mean? You got the big body, but the tiny legs. And we know that. We know that the power of the human body is that in the glutes and the hams. It's there in the legs and and, and those lower muscles of our body. That's where the power is. So that kind of individual, as strong as they look, can be simply shoved over by most of us if you get a real good running start at them. They really can because they're not... They're asymmetrical in their development of their own body. And I think sometimes in our spiritual life, we are just like that. We are. That we look at God and we say, oh, God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. But, but we struggle with the personal side of God. We really do. And so we, our Christian life looks like this list of rules. 
and we say, if I can just keep God happy and I can keep God out of my hair and out of my life because God's not going to be in my mess if I don't mess up then, and I don't do anything wrong, then I can simply, I'm, I'm okay with that. And there's nothing wrong with the pursuit of hap, per, I'm sorry, the pursuit of holiness within your life or that of walking that biblical path of your life. There isn't. There's not. But yet, simultaneously, we can't reject the voice of God that God delights in you. And God desires to have communion with you. And God wants to be with you. And I think we struggle some areas in symmetry like that. That we don't have a Father in heaven who simply says to us, Do what I say, then then I'm going to leave you alone. That's not what he says. No, no. And, and I think we struggle with that because maybe our fathers were that way. I can tell you that the father that I grew up with was exactly like that. That I ran low under the radar and I stayed out of his kind of peripheral view at times. And, and I stayed away from conversations with him because my life was easier if I simply was able to simp- keep this low profile around my dead. And I think that for years in my own life, that's the way I approach my heavenly father. If I can just keep him happy, then everything is good in my relationship. And that was not a relationship at all. It was not. And I think sometimes, you know, that some of you approach him, oh, that you're really keen on that, that, that he is intently personal in your life, but that of he is immensely, he is immensely powerful, that you lack the reverence for, the God, for God and the holiness of God, that you view him as a historical figure. He's sort of like... He's sort of like Abraham Lincoln to you in some way, you know. But, but, but if he's just a historical figure, he doesn't shape your life. No. That if your favorite shirt is Jesus is my homeboy kind of thing, you know. And I don't know if you've ever seen I had one one time. I threw it away. I really did. I, I had one of those years ago. And, and, and you have that view of God. No. But this is about Symmetry. And that he is intently personal in my life. And he is immensely powerful in my life. Simultaneously. Clarity. We live under this fog of deism that somehow that God came and he started the engine of creation. And he just let it run and he left us. He left us. And we're kind of here uh, under our own power. Or you maybe believe that God is not a judge. That he's just a loving God. And what I realize is we've taught so many times that you can't separate the God of love and the God of wrath. Why? Because God simply hates the things that harm us as his children. Did you know that? He hates those things that harm us. Because he is our father. Yeah. If we as earthly fathers feel that about our family, that we hate the things that harm them, I'm telling you, and I've told you this before, man, don't mess with my family, okay? Don't, 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 don't jack around with my family. Don't hurt my wife. You hurt my wife. You touch my wife. And here's what's going to happen, okay? Can I tell you? You really want to? That I, I will do my very, very best to bloody you in some way. I will. And you say, Mark, that's horrible as a pastor. I am sorry, but that is exactly the way it's going to go down if you try to harm my wife. It's going to happen that way. If you try to, if you try to harm my, my precious granddaughter, Emma, who I love immensely, and the older she gets, the, just, I just love her and in such a great way. If you were ever try to harm her, then I want to tell you what's going to happen. I will gladly lose my job and develop a prison ministry if I have to, okay? <laughs> gladly. 
And if I feel that way, why do we try to sometimes, with God, the creator of the universe, why do we try to emasculate him? Why do we try to pull that passion away from him and rob him of that love that he has for you and I, that he hates the things that harm us? Because he is our father. He's our father. I'm going to skip community, go to council, and I'm finished. And how this changes the way we counsel ourselves and counsel others is so powerful, I believe. So can I ask you a question as we close? And here's the question. How many of you this week are just stressed out? Let me see your hand if you've been stressed out. Okay? Keep your hand up. Okay, keep your hand up. All right? How many of you, how many of you, now don't put them down. Some of you, this is stressing me out, Mark. You having me put my hand up, okay? It's making it worse. How many of you are like freaking out stressed? Put your other hand up like this, yeah? Yeah? All right? That's good, huh? Some of you say, dude, I've done this years ago. You know, it's been a long time since I did that, and I was innocent, but I did that anyway. And so, yeah. <laughs> Put your hands down. Some of you still got your hands up because you're really stressed, right? Yes. Yeah. Here's my thought. If God is infinitely powerful, if he is intensely personal in my life, then that should shape me and you on the day of trouble. That should shape us. There's only a few things that I get emotional over because I'm not a real emotional person often thought maybe I was broken in some way because I'm not, you know. Maybe I am. But I get emotional about my family, my wife, my children, my daughter in loves, my grandchildren. God and I talk when I mow the grass. <laughs> Amen? There's another one. And I mow the grass with a, like this respirator over my face because of my allergies and, I, and earmuffs over my ears to protect my ears. So I look like an alien. I do. Yeah, I do. Reba has taken photos of me from the house, me mowing the grass. It's pitiful. It really is. Shorts, work boots, really white legs, and then looking like an alien. It's awful. She's thinking, why did I marry that, you know? but when I mow the grass I talk to God because nobody wants to come and help me mow the grass so I'm by myself right so I talk to God no Reba does offer and here lately there's so many times that I've said to God that God I give this child of mine to you That there are things that I don't understand. There's things I can't quite figure out. Directions maybe that he has chosen that I wouldn't choose for him. 
But God, I give him to you. And you're going to take care of him. And in those times, I have to get out of my mind and I have to get into my heart. Because if I just know those things only, then it doesn't bring that peace that I need in my life, that moment that I need God to just show up within my life. But if I believe that, I believe it. That it's not, it's not a silver bullet. It's, it's not the, the magical pill that I take while I'm out there mowing that makes it all go away. It's not that. But what I realize is this, that I have a God who is intently personal within my life. And He's immensely powerful in my life. And He may not necessarily change the situation... And it may be a war or a battle that I find myself in. But I know that he is my father. And because he is my father, everything he does toward me is for my good. Everything. Everything. One of my favorite texts is the book... Is the book of Luke chapter 11 in verse 11. And I finish with this. It says this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will indeed, uh, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That I do my best with my kids and I do my best with, with my wife that I can. And I fail and I realize that at times in my life I do my best in all of those areas. And I get it right sometimes and get it wrong sometimes. But what I realize is that I have a Heavenly Father who always gets it right. He always gets it right. So I rest in that. I rest in that. So for all of you that are stressed out, and for all of you that are freaking stressed out, you know, I'm not saying that today when you leave, God is going to make that situation just evaporate. But what I am saying to you is this, that you have a Heavenly Father today. It's there. God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, who is intently personal in your life, and he's immensely powerful on your behalf. Yes. So my question is this before we pray. Do you believe that he's good? I think you have to ask that question of yourself. Be careful before you say good all the time. Be careful now when you say that because you don't understand how that works. But do you believe that he's good? And you believe God is for you and not against you, regardless of life's circumstances. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Father, ah, you are here in our midst. 
Jesus, you are working on our behalf, making intercession to the Father. Holy Spirit, you are speaking to us, illuminating God's words in our lives. And so, Lord, we trust you. We trust you with our life. We trust you with our families. The stress, the struggles, the unexplainables. We trust you today, Father. We trust you. And today we believe. We believe. We believe that you are good and that you were for us and not against us. And that you are good regardless of the circumstances of our lives. We believe. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? Don't leave. We have something to talk to you about in just a moment. Just for a moment. won't keep you long. The band's going to sing a song, and can I encourage you to do something today with your stress? And I'm just going to say this as a point of faith for you this morning. But with your stress, the situation, the circumstance, that you just take a moment to just step out of your seat. And in a symbolic way, and there's nothing wrong with symbolism as long as we are grounded in the God behind that in our life when we do these things in church. But you just take a step maybe from your seat and you come and you take a moment just to pray to our Father this morning. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. That you allow him to reassure you that he is for you today and he is not against you and that he is good all the time regardless of the circumstances of this world. So during this song, could you make that step for a moment? Just come and spend a moment. Nobody's going to take you to the back or anything else or ask your name or just you and your Father for a moment of prayer.